The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. Joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, we're recording on Wednesday morning about 36 hours before we get the 2022 (laughs) NFL schedule. How are you containing your excitement? I I really have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> me either. I'm surprised that I'm going to be able to do this podcast. I, I thought I would maybe have to tell Steve it's a no-go this week because I just constantly keep thinking about dates and dates and dates. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to push through my desire to know the NFL schedule, and I'm going to do this show for you guys uh, before we get into it, and we actually have a ton of topics coming out of rookie minicamp to to talk about. Sometimes in the offseason, it's light. Not this week. There's a lot to discuss, so we're going to get into the news. We'll go back to the Andy Reid press conference and play some of his sounds for you about what he thought uh, about some of these rookie uh, draft picks here. Uh, we'll go to our, what I'm calling, marinated, marinated draft takeaways because we already had our marinated (laughs) takeaways on the draft but we got some deeper dive stuff to end the show Uh, we have your reaction to some of these draft picks and when it comes to ratings and then we'll finish up with the ap twitter poll so again before we get into the news i want to tell you if you leave a rating review a review on the arrowhead pride podcast network we will read it on the show especially if it's five stars and we have one this week and John, it comes from Chiefs Maniac, and he mm. spelled Chiefs C H E I F S. So, really following that uh, I before E, except after C, maybe like a little too hard uh, on the <laughs> username for Apple iTunes. But Pete and company love your podcast. John Dixon specifically love your in depth opinions, always provides me a new perspective on oh. all things Chiefs. So you have a lot of seasons takes, Johns. Congratulations on that. He continues. I liked this year's draft, but I feel like we overcorrected the defensive back position. We could have easily added another defensive end or defensive lineman. Not sure if this means we are more hopeful of signing back Ingram or if we already have more depth in Kando and Herring or if they have eyes on some veterans in the free agency. What are your thoughts there? 
Uh, and then he says, seems like they are focused on rebuilding one unit at a time. O-line last year, secondary this year, and D-line next year, perhaps. Regardless, I feel like we should have taken a more balanced approach and signed at least one more defensive end or defensive lineman rather than taking so many defensive backs who might not make it to the 53-man roster. My take on this is I agree and I disagree mm-hmm. because, you know, at the same time where you have tons of defensive backs on the roster of the Chiefs now, you, you know, you have probably what I would say, you know, two to three open defensive back positions. I've gone through it before and let's go through it quickly again. I think your locks defensive backs wise to make the roster are Legereus Sneed, Rashad Fenton, Trent McDuffie, Juan Thornhill, Justin Reed, Brian Cook. I'll put Baker there and I'll say even maybe Dion, um, Dion Bush. Mm-hmm. And in that mix now, you know, you have two seventh rounders. You all, oh, the, you have the fourth rounder as well in, in Joshua Williams. So that's another one, even, even more mm-hmm. muddled. Um, you have the two seventh rounders in what were um, Nazee Johnson and who is the other one, John? Am I missing here? Um, well, just the ones, the guys from last year, Zane Anderson and uh, DiCaprio Boodle are both right. going to be in that mix too. So, I mean, even there, there are so many defensive backs, we're getting confused. Right. Jalen Watson right. was the other one. I just yep. found right. it. Jalen right. Watson. Okay. So yeah. that's the other seventh rounder. Josh Williams is, is the fourth rounder. You could put Williams in that mix of, of certainly making it as well. So I think you have a point because you're usually only keeping about 10 of these guys uh, between the safety and the cornerback position. It depends on how you split it up. A lot of times it's six and four, sometimes it's five and five, whatever the Chiefs end up doing. And so what I tell you is uh, as we were getting confused as to which defensive backs were locks and what were not is, look, there is not a lot of room for some of these dart throws to make it where I, I, I like it is the chiefs had a big gap between the fourth round and the seventh round entering the NFL draft. That's really, I think where they've made their, their money, so to speak, their values, so to speak in recent years in, throwing these high upside trait based darts and them hitting Legarius Sneed is an example of that. I think the chiefs are hoping for the same thing in Joshua Williams, uh, but you have a big gap here. So I think rather than using those last two seventh rounders by maybe going defensive line, which could have been another need, they go and say, let's continue to just try to add talent here. And you get injuries at these positions. We've seen injuries in the defensive back room where you have to call some of these guys off at the pro- practice squad. If you, organizes properly there's sometimes you can sneak and and really you know not only be 10 men deep but be 10 to 14 men deep and so i I see what you're saying i i got to the end and that was actually i think in a previous show john i i criticized the chiefs i'm like how many defensive backs do we need you would have liked to see them maybe take another position at the same time i think you're staring at a defensive back room and we may not know who the ninth and tenth man are but because of the quantity of options that they have you would think by the end of training camp you're going to be feeling pretty damn good about that room even if maybe though that ninth or tenth man isn't necessarily a name that pops off the screen well i think our our uh, listener has is making good points across the board i mean he laid out several things that could be going on and i think parts of all of those things may be true including that the chiefs may be expecting more out of players like 
Malik Herring and Joshua Kando this season than most of us are. We just don't know too much about those two players, but the Chiefs may be very high on them on uh, going into this season, and maybe they didn't feel the need to address the defensive end position quite as much as they did. And let's not forget, they did invest a first-round pick uh, in Karlaftis, so uh, it's not like they did nothing. And um, uh, and then I also think that Veach had said before the, the draft that he thought the defense needed help at all three levels, and so they did that. You can only do so much even when you have 10 draft picks, and I'm not sure that uh, that you know investing a defensive end in the seventh in a, in a defensive end in the seventh round would have satisfied people who thought we needed to do more. Um, I think they're pretty sure they're going to get Ingram, and I think that they may have somebody else in mind that they could pick up in free agency once people start dropping off of other rosters. So you know, there's still a long way to go here, and yeah. uh, and and they may. At, be in pretty good shape at defensive end by the time we get to the season. You know, I want to go through that one more time just because I feel like we were all over the place with the absolute locks in the defensive back room. So I'm going to go through the, the roster really quickly here. Sneed, obvious, that's one. Mm-hmm. I don't think Lonnie Johnson's a lock. I don't think Jalen Watson is a lock. You have Justin Reed, obviously. I'd put Brian Cook in that room because day one or day two guy. Juan Thornhill. I don't know about mm-hmm. Deion Bush. I don't know about Zane Anderson. I don't know about Devin Key. Rashad Fenton I'd put in there. I'd go and put B- Baker in there. I'd put Joshua Williams in there. And then McDuffie. Now, I, there's going to be probably some pushback about Baker, maybe some pushback about me not including Bush, whatever way you want to go there. That's still eight. So, again, to that point, you are looking at probably – two to three-ish defensive back positions. I wanted to make sure that we shored that up uh, as we go into training camp. So, uh, again, we're in minute nine here. If you want to leave a rating review uh, and you leave five stars, we'll address your question. Uh, That was a pretty good question, a a fun little topic for us to start the show. Uh, Go to Apple iTunes, leave five stars. We'll read it right here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. All right, let's get into some of this news here. And when it comes to a personnel standpoint with the Kansas City Chiefs, we just got through the three-day rookie minicamp. We'll talk about that. I was on the field for all three days. I, I have some, some takes to discuss. But right now, when it comes to a personnel standpoint, the Chiefs are in a holding pattern. And really what they're waiting is for maybe Orlando Brown Jr. to stop playing left-handed tennis and to start <laughs> negotiating so they can get some of this money off the books. The update as of this last week is – there's still no definitiveness when it comes to an agent that could have been shored up and we maybe have not heard about it. This was a, a report last week, but the chiefs are really just waiting for this uh, cap number, which is around 16 ish million with the franchise tag to come off the book, so to speak, to maybe go into what is this next wave of free agency. So we're, we're waiting, and, you know, it, I think it's just hurry up and wait when it comes to the Orlando Brown Jr. contract right now, John. I agree. I, I think they would like to get that settled so they can get some additional cap space. But, I, you know, one of the things I think is interesting is the Chiefs signed all their draft picks earlier than I would have anticipated. I always tell people that you shouldn't really expect those guys to get signed until late May or early June, and the Chiefs signed all of them right away. Now, it only took about uh, $4 million bucks off the cap to sign all of them, uh, you know, under top 51 rules. But they could have held on to that money uh, in order to make some other moves, which suggests to me 
that the Chiefs don't think they're going to need a whole lot of money in the short term, uh, or they're getting ready to sign Orlando Brown Jr. and get that cap space back. I don't know, but it was it was to me unusual for them to sign all the draft picks so quickly after the draft. We don't normally see that. Yeah, and I think part of that is because I believe the entire round right now in, in round one is fully guaranteed. There's stuff with the new CBA where there, there's just less negotiating room, it seems like, in the mm-hmm. past. So maybe yeah. there's there's not really any reason to hold out or, or wait and, and, and whatnot. But yeah, uh, I don't know what's going to happen with this Orlando Brown Jr. situation. I just think it's different in previous years where, like with Chris Jones – the Chiefs really knew what they had in Chris Jones. Uh, and this is obvious, but they knew what they had in Patrick Mahomes, right? You really knew, and you were really sure that you wanted to sign them to a pretty lucrative contract, and that would be worth your while. I don't feel that about Orlando Brown Jr. I, I feel like there's still room to to prove for him. Uh, sure. and, and for someone who has leaked through his mentor that he wants to make top dollar, at the left tackle position, I don't think we've seen enough for the Chiefs to want to do that. Brett Veach traded Tyreek Hill before paying him what he wanted. What makes us think that they're going to agree to this overpayment deal for Orlando Brown Jr.? So regardless of agent or not, if Orlando Brown goes to his agent and says, I want to be the highest paid left tackle, I would be with Brett Veach and saying, no. We'll pay you on the tag. They've created a situation, you know, I, I think very actively here where they can swallow a year on the tag and just to really ensure themselves that this is the guy uh, they want to pay all that money to. And that's why it's built in. And it's not a bad deal for Orlando Brown Jr. $60 million for a year is not bad. Uh, and there's added motivation to have him really, I think, fulfill what would be that franchise position as the left tackle of the future. He did have his struggles early. He's, he settled in toward the end of the year, but I really think if you're going to pay this guy and commit to him all that money, you got to be sure, sure. And I, I just don't think we're there. And based upon some of the things I, I just don't see the bending. I, I know it, it might seem bold, but I, I think he plays on the tag. That, that would be my gut right now uh, on this situation. So, well, I won't say you're wrong. I, I really won't because I, I think it could easily play out that way. But at the same time, I think they'd like to get some cap relief too. Whether that cap relief this year is more important than, uh, you know, taking a big risk on Brown is another question. And so a lot of it will depend on how they feel about it. You're saying that you're not comfortable, you wouldn't be comfortable making a long term <laughs> deal with the guy, but maybe the Chiefs feel differently about it. I think we'll learn a lot here in the next few weeks about exactly yeah. how they feel about Brown and, and exactly what they think about their salary cap situation just by the way this thing ends up going. There is a break glass scenario here too, and I'll just mention it quickly because I don't think this is going to happen, and I want I want that to be clear. But when Orlando Brown was hurt that one game at the last year, Joe Tooney did – I mean, he's a little undersized wingspan-wise, but he did a pretty good job uh, at mm-hmm. left tackle. Yeah. And before Brown was a thing, they had talked about Tooney maybe sliding over. Tooney might be the best left tackle on this team. Uh, so you slide him over. You have options at guard all in the depth of this team. Allegretti, you know, was your guard. Uh, I believe it, it was the Super Bowl team, right? Wasn't Allegretti the or on, in the mix? Or uh, he was I, a starter. Yeah, I think starter so, yeah. at some point. Yeah. And so I, you know, he's sitting there. Um, there, there is this emergency leverage if the Chiefs need it. I don't think that's ideal. Um, you know, in a situation where you're just like, all right, 
you know, go make your money elsewhere if you really can't come to the, and that that takes the money off the books as well. Not ideal, but there there is what I would say a break glass type of option built in there because sure. mm-hmm. Toonie is just so damn good <laughs> you got to see and maybe brown might like look back and regret it but you got to see it with that like late injury you know toward the end of last mm, season where yeah Tooney did a nice job in that game all right let's move on to the the next subject here and that is the chiefs getting shot down for an international game so the chiefs won't be traveling overseas we had speculated that they would play the tampa bay buccaneers who are hosting a the first ever regular season game in munich germany instead that goes to the Seattle Seahawks led by uh, Drew Locke or Geno Smith. So you get Smith Brady or Locke Brady in Germany instead of Mahomes uh, and Brady. I, I got to think the Chiefs are a little peeved by this because they are trying to uh, expand into what would be the German market. This would have been the ideal situation, a marquee game of Mahomes and Brady on uh, the international stage. And a lot of times, too, when you're, you're, you're again, building into these markets, there's four teams with the opportunity to, to build into the German market, Bucks, Chiefs, Panthers, and New England Patriots. And now the Bucks really, because this is the only game in Germany, get a significant advantage of being the first game there first. And, you know, you got Tom Brady, uh, not to say the Chiefs uh, can't uh, get some fans back with Patrick Mahomes, who we believe at this point is going to play longer than Brady. Uh, no guarantees there, but we think that <laughs> Mahomes will be done after Brady is done. Uh, but uh, I'd imagine this is this was disappointing for the Chiefs to to some regard. You could really tell, I think, when Clark Hunt did speak at the draft, he would have liked to have been playing in this game as opposed to what what they're looking at now is sometime in the next three years. And also, what's annoying about that, John, too, and fans in Kansas City are not going to like this, is it maybe end up being a home game now. We don't even you know right. we have no idea. Mm-hmm. So right. Well, nobody likes for the home games to be played outside the United States. I don't think uh, fans of any other team are any different than the Chiefs in that respect. Somebody's going to have to right. do it. Some, you know, for every game, some team is going to have to do that, and it's just you know part of what we're going to get with these international games on the schedule. And sometimes it's going to involve the Chiefs. I hate it too. I, I think I, I think it's reasonable to hate that stuff, but. You know, this is this is what we're going to get with this. I, I do have one question, though. When Clark Hunt is peeved, how do you tell? I mean, I'm just <laughs> trying to think about the times that yeah. Clark Hunt has been mad about something. And, you know, you couldn't really tell it from his tone. He's the just last... that kind of guy who gets all torqued off and, you know. <laughs> I always say this. I've been doing this. This is my ninth year at press conferences with these guys. They keep their cards close to the vest but i yeah. do have an andy yeah. reed radar and i have a hunt radar the last time hunt was really mad if you remember this was when he released a public statement against the nfl about the tampering penalty oh yeah yeah regarding yeah. macklin and did not <laughs> believe and he was right and because it's become a joke there should never be a tampering penalty to any team ever again because it is a complete joke we all know that they're talking at the combine which is well before mm-hmm. they're allowed yeah. to be talking to any of these guys but um Yeah. So no, I, I think, so this was before the announcement, but I think at the draft Clark Hunt knew that the chiefs weren't getting this game. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're announcing that the home openers week two, they, they have the schedule or at least a handful of people in the chief organization have the schedule already again, to be be released tomorrow at seven or at 6 PM, 7 PM central time. Uh, We'll find out. Um, But you could tell um, he, sort of said if we don't get it this year he was already preparing you know i i think the international fan base 
uh, we are anticipating, you know, two, you know, two or three years. Uh, I think there was some juice to this Chiefs Bucks thing, and that's my read on the situation. I think the Chiefs are a little disappointed. So we'll see if they get what you know in future years. And this is something to kind of compartmentalize a kind of a game of their choosing like the NFL does them a little favor because they might've ripped this from them in some capacity just seemed like too obvious. And, and for some reason it's not going to be chiefs and bucks. The U S fans are, are big winners here. I think it's going to be a lot cheaper if you're a chiefs fan and you want to go down to Tampa to watch what we now think again is the last Brady Mahomes matchup. <laughs> we don't know for sure because yeah. they keep popping up. Um, and then same for bucks fans. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's some Bucks fans that would have liked to see Brady and Mahomes and weren't willing to go to Munich to do so. Uh, and also, you know, to the NFL's point, maybe as as well, this is one of the marquee games of the season. Like as we get to the schedule release tomorrow, and we'll have some content on on uh, the SB Nation um, Arrowhead Pride feed uh, right after uh, we we find out the schedule. I'll be producing because Steve is kicking his feet up and going to New Orleans. So old school <laughs> back to the days of no Steve, but we'll have some rapid reaction to the schedule. But again, we're all going to be looking at when Brady Mahomes is uh, considering the quarterback matchup, considering the Super Bowl rematch. So um, you can understand again, for a lot of reasons, both sides of this, where the chiefs are, might be a little pee, but you understand the NFL and what the Tampa Bay bucks want um, and so on and so forth. All right. Uh, enough of, of that hot international schedule talk. I, I believe um, and uh, it's really not even a belief. I know that our <laughs> pals, uh, Tom Childs and the Brit Chief, will have plenty of takes on the nah, international stuff nah. on tomorrow's Great British Chief Show. Wouldn't happen. <laughs> All right. Well, I went out to rookie <laughs> minicamp, and it was something. It was hot. Uh, and that I'm going to have five takeaways here, and, and that that's takeaway number one. You can only take so much from – rookie minicamp and and even before i get into my actual stuff my, my four other points here uh it's hot the competition stinks it, it every, the players aren't shorts so how much can you really take you know away from shorts mm-hmm. um but it is something right so i think um while we're taking all these points with a grain of salt it, it was somewhat of real football you know running through the drills and walkthroughs and installs and it's a lot of passing. There's no running. You can't really run um, in a in a short spaced camp. But here's what uh, I've learned. Here are my four other points. So uh, aside from it being 95 degrees in the last day, I think the Chiefs really do have impact players and potential day one impact players in not only George Karloftis, who looked like you know when you go out to a Friday Night Light high school game and everyone in the stands knows. Uh, you know, Johnny's kid is is going to Alabama and you just watch and you're like, oh yeah, that's the kid who's going to Alabama. That's how George Karloftis looked at rookie minicamp. Hmm. He just was dominating, uh, really stood out. Uh, re- I'm really eager to see him A, go up against veterans and B, put pads on. Uh, that first padded practice where they're go- going at it in St. Joe will be must watch, uh, in my opinion, for number 56, a new number 56 in George Karloftis. Uh, I also thought Malik Herring came out of the woodwork, and I think it might be someone that we forgot about, but the Chiefs didn't forget about, because for a long time, John, we were all staring at each other, being like, why aren't they going on the free agent market and getting a defensive end? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, where's the other defensive end? 
the back even so like let's say they even take an edge guy we didn't know at the time they take an edge guy in the draft you're telling me mike dana and josh kando are the backups like where and we in a sense i think forgot about malik caring and he made this play on sunday where he knocked down a ball at the line and this is a a monster of a man he knocks his ball at, I, I should say knocked it up six foot three 280 pounds knocks it up makes a diving interception and they were so close to the end zone that he sort of rolled into the end zone for a touchdown. <laughs> and again, you know, you're facing these rookie tackles and, and there's different looks just really almost as relentless as Karloftis, who has the highest motor probably at the rookie camp. And it's a guy that we kind of forgot about tore his ACL at what was the 2021 senior bowl came out of Georgia. A lot of people thought him to be like a day one or day two guy out of the draft had a red shirt season for the chiefs and now suddenly is spicy. And I don't know if he's going to replace Frank Clark opposite Karloftis to start, but there's just another guy we weren't thinking about. And so Herring makes his reappearance potentially here. You get Ingram back and damn, now you're feeling really good about a, a, a line room that we weren't really feeling good about right. uh, ahead of the NFL draft. Well, and this is exactly why I made this very point earlier, is that we forget about guys who have those red shirt years, but the Chiefs have not forgotten, and they've been talking to him. He's been absorbing uh, everything in the meetings for the past year while he's been, you know, rehabilitating from this ACL injury. So, you know, they know a lot more about the situation with him than we do. And I'm very encouraged that you saw something on the field during the rookie minicamp, albeit with the, the large grain of salt. That's excellent news. I love I love that. Yeah, I, I guess maybe like there's a little bit of that worry that it's going to be another Tim Ward situation. Sure, that doesn't really yeah. pan out where we were mm -hmm. like so high and so eager that Tim Ward was going to be that guy. And then it just ended up being a lot of trade piece in the New York jets or signed piece in the New York jets never really panned out in Kansas city. So uh, again, you know, all these points that I'm, I'm about to say, take with a grain of salt, but Herring is certainly someone to watch now to me going into OTAs and then to training camp uh, next point. So this is point three. So remember we're go going through them now. A it was hot. B Karloftis and Herring. Very impressive. Three Trent McDuffie was working uh, the nickel position. And it makes me wonder if going into this offseason, this is finally the time that we see LeJarry Sneed plant outside against that opposing team's number one threat, number one guy. And McDuffie not only could be a day one starter, but also maybe uh, has some upside when it comes to being that slide in guy where your two starters then, rather than being what you might be considering Sneed and Fenton with Traverius Ward gone, maybe it's uh, Sneed and McDuffie. Nickel and dime McDuffie slides in and Fenton enters the game. Um, I, I think that could be a possibility, John. Yeah, could be, but I don't know if we want to go that far just on the basis of uh, what they do with their first round pick in the first rookie minicamp. They may just be wanting to see what he's capable of doing in the nickel right? and use this opportunity to do that. But I, uh, but you make a good point. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make a reference on what it was that you saw, and what you saw was him working in the nickel in the slot, and so that's something that we got to be thinking about: is that that might be time to move Sneed to the outside. The problem with that is that the Chiefs were very high on Sneed on the slot; they really liked him in there, and I think they want to keep him in there. Maybe what we're looking at is where 
you've got two cornerbacks, either one of which could go move into the slot, uh, which is just, you know, yet another uh, degree of uncertainty that Spagnola can put on the defense. So, uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out. This will it'll be certainly be interesting to watch how they uh, how they use him. This is something we'll learn more about, you know, during the OTA looks. The way that OTAs goes is there's these four weeks of OTAs. We'll get a media look one of the days each week. Uh, we'll start to find out then what they plan to do when it comes to McDuffie and Sneed, and then further so in training camp. So it's a question that eventually will be answered. I just thought it was interesting. Sure. Uh, also part of these defensive points, Leo Chanel. I think might be better than we thought. Uh, he did have a pass breakup during this camp. Uh, whenever there's a linebacker going back into coverage, it's hard not to think of Justin Houston, <laughs> uh, who led our arrow headlines today, actually, as it turned out. Uh, but Chanel, to me, uh, you know, I, I think ever since he was drafted, he's just been looked at as this guy that's going to be a run guy uh, early downs. Um, I don't know if we should just be boxing him into that to that corner. I also noticed Bags was working very closely with Karloftis and McDuffie. To me, that's just a confirmation that very much an intention to get these guys ready to start on day one and starting right now in early May. Uh, so, I, you know, I thought those points were interesting. Uh, next part, um, and this I'll switch over to the offense here. So this is point number four. Sky Moore didn't really do anything. I came to camp with a hamstring issue. More from Andy Reid on that in a, in a little bit. I'm going to throw out a name here. Maybe I'm crazy. I thought this kid, Matthew Sexton, looked like the most pro-ready receiver in camp. Mm. It's been Justin Ross, Mayhem, Mania, right. High Train right. City. This Sexton kid, he was a 2021 uh, undrafted free agent, and he ended up going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and look, um, you know, when it comes to Ross, uh, you know, of course – what, what you get in Ross is a player that's raw just because he was injured. This is his first time as a pro. Sexton has been in camp before, and so when he's among rookies, you know, I think reasonably you're going to expect him to look a little better. You know, I, I thought the same thing, for example, about Gordon over Crum, and as you know, we'll talk about in a second here, the Chiefs are ending, ending up keeping Crum as opposed to, to Gordon. But Sexton is his kid. He's from Eastern Michigan, 5'10", 176. When I say he caught every pass in stride, he didn't drop a pass. He looked like he was running the right routes every single time. Um, you know, I'd say that. And <laughs> I've been getting these, uh, you know, comments on, on, to the radio, you know, at 610, where I'll go on 610 and kind of say the same thing. And uh, I'm sure people will tweet at me here and be like, yeah, but what about Ross? I don't know. This Sexton kid caught my eye <laughs> and I'm going to be continuing to watch. You know, I'm really excited because I'm telling you, the quarterback play in general was bad. At rookie camp, it just it just is. You didn't have Mahomes, you didn't have Henny, you didn't even have Bouchelle. It was uh, Anthony Gordon, who's no longer with the team, and a, a UDFA and Dustin Crum. And you know Sexton was making these guys look good. Um, so just a name to know. I, that's all mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you. I don't know. Right. Um, well, and people are excited about Justin Ross, and they should be. Okay, right. the guy was spectacular during his first two seasons at Clemson. So I think it's reasonable for people to be excited. But, you know, Andy Reid said the guy had some rust on him. Okay, that can be scraped off. It's not yeah. the end of the world. And when he isn't looking good, who else is going to look? Somebody somebody else is going to look good, and this week it was Sexton. <laughs> so, well, you know, let's not get too panic-stricken about this. I think it's no. great that there's a kid we don't know that's looking good. And it's a long camp. Uh, we're going to play some Reid cuts on Ross next segment. It's a long camp, and or uh, I should say long preseason, and so there's plenty of time for Ross to – Sure. To stand out. 
just didn't this weekend. Sexton yeah. did. <laughs> this yeah. random guy that I didn't even really know about <laughs> did. Uh, and then finally, this point, and I just thought uh, this was interesting. Jerry and Ely, who they're listing as a running back and a wide receiver, he looked a little bit more fluid and faster than what was the draft pick and Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, and then you throw Derek Gore in, into that mix. Uh, you know, I think you have Clyde and you have Rojo, Ronald Jones, who are the locks for this room. We talked about locks before. I think it could be interesting for, you know, do the Chiefs keep three or four running backs? We know that they're keeping a fullback. I'm not falling for that again. I've said that already. They're, you know, they're keeping a fullback. So it's either three or four running backs. Uh, and let's say it's three. I think it could be a three man battle uh, based upon some of the talent I think they have in camp. I think it may be four. So let's throw Gore in that mix. But I don't, you know, I, I think Pacheco and Ely suddenly becomes interesting. Now you, now you do have to keep in mind, Brett Beach said that there was a thousand yard rusher. Uh, in this NFL draft or right. day three, and he yeah. drafted Pacheco. So I know that. I'm just saying, wait till you guys see this Ely kid. He's an interesting player. So just keep that in mind as well. So, well, uh, and uh, you got to love Pacheco the way he's talked since he's arrived here. You've got to love all the things that he said. You've got to love little Poppy. Yeah, you got to love all of that stuff about him. And uh, you know, and one of the players that got cut yesterday was a running back, Brendan Knox. So uh, that that would tend to back up what you were saying about Ely looking a little quicker and more fluid in the rookie minicamp. It looked like it may have dealt Brendan Knox a fatal blow. Right, right. Let's get into those transactions now that we've wrapped up some of those things that I saw at rookie camp. By the way, if you're really eager into more of my notes from rookie camp, I have a pinned tweet on PG Swain right now. Just all of my notes from from camp that I saw. There's more where that came from. Those are some of just the highlights. Let's get into those transactions. I'm going to read them all off, and then we're going to get into a few of them uh, that I've isolated. The Chiefs said goodbye to the Sheepdog, Eric Dieter. Oh, my God. <laughs> Is he going to take his talents to South Beach? We'll see. Tight ends, uh, Josh Peterson and uh, Kia Griffin-Stewart. Defensive tackle, Lorenzo Neal Jr. and defensive end, Jonathan Woodard. Offensive tackle, Gene Pryor, uh, who had been a, a UDFA. Chiefs didn't like what they saw. He They moved on from him. Darius Stills. Um, Brendan Knox and then Anthony Gordon originally wide receiver Jennings, Gary Jennings and Austin Ryder were included in this, but they brought them right back, um, mm-hmm. which we'll get into in a second. Now also a trial player, a guard from Virginia, Chris Glazer has been signed. Mike Caliendo, Jack Cochran, Dustin Crum, the quarterback. Uh, we talked about Ely running back in uh, Talon fleet Davis, defensive back Nasir Greer, uh, tight end in Kinde Ojini, which we're going to have more about on arrowheadpride.com from Rocky Magana as the week carries on. Really interesting story in the international program for the NFL. Uh, linebacker Mike Rose, and then, of course, wide receiver Justin Ross. So I've isolated a few of the more interesting ones here for us to discuss. Uh, the first is Garrick Dieter. And my question is, and I'll let you go first, John, do you think this is finally the end of the road for the Sheepdog? I wouldn't bet on it. I you mean, think he'll be back? Yeah, I, I wouldn't bet wow. on him being gone. And uh, and it's not because, let's just say this, it's not because he's Patrick Mahomes' friend. That's okay, he is. He is Patrick Mahomes' friend. That counts for something, but it's not going to keep him on the practice squad. They're not holding uh, holding him there just to make Patrick Mahomes happy. They're holding him there because they need a player like Dieter on the practice squad. They apparently like what he's able to do on the scout team. 
And that's what practice squad players are for is to be the additional players they need to structure the practices they want to practice. They, they want to have uh, just to structure them the way they want them to be run. And that's what the whole purpose of the practice squad is. We get this idea in our heads that it's the, you know, this little extra addition to the active roster. And it is that, but its main purpose is to have players who are there for practice and Dieter wouldn't have been on it for all these years if he wasn't effective in that in that role. He's like he's like Rudy. OK, he's the Rudy of the Chiefs team. He's the guy that that they want to have in there in practice. So I think it's entirely possible he'll be back. Maybe they'll find someone in this new crop of UDFAs that can do an even better job. And that'll be the last we see of him. But I certainly wouldn't count him out at this point. It's not the first time he's been released only to come back. Yeah, the way that we've seen Dieter go is it, it, it does look like a practice squad hero, does all the, the dirty work behind the scenes. He was actually on the Super Bowl roster because of injuries and whatnot when sure. the Chiefs won it. So he's got, you know, he's got that ring. He would have had it on the practice squad anyway, but he was actually called up. Uh, Garrett Dieter was on FaceTime with Tyree Kill when he took his uh, photo of the new contract. Um, I wonder if he goes down to Miami. And maybe Miami does it again where they make another former chief like Albert Wilson look like an actual receiver in the <laughs> NFL. So a deep wide receiver room in, in, in Miami, they got rid of uh, Devonte Parker. Uh, there is room I would assume down in Miami. I'm just speculating here, but you're right. Uh, I guess, you know, as training camp gets up closer, maybe Dieter could find himself back in the mix. Uh, when it comes to a practice squad spot, they do know what they have in him already. And this is definitely right. an evaluation period. I don't know if they'd want him away for OTAs if they were going to keep him on the practice squad, but who knows? Um, you might be right. I, I would well, say. And if he ends up in Miami, then then all the Miami fans will be able to say, well, they're just keeping him around because he's Tyreek Hill's friend. And they'd probably be right, <laughs> uh, uh, quite honestly. <laughs> Brendan Knox, uh, really less about Knox for me. And we've already kind of nailed this one or talked about this one, John, more about the position. Uh, I think the Chiefs, you know, know that Knox is not going to make the team says more about the other players and what I just described and what I think is a brewing running back battle for one or two positions on, on Knox. We, we covered that already. Sure. Gordon, I, I thought he had a better camp than crumb uh, who, you know, Anthony Gordon, who was the, the UDFA spent last year with the chiefs. So he, he certainly had that advantage. I think the chiefs are uh, taking their chances on someone who they believe might have a higher ceiling. Crum was doing his first pro snaps at this camp, whereas Gordon, they already know again what they have. So Crum becomes that that fourth quarterback. From what I saw from Crum in this initial camp, Shane Bouchelle, who they put on the damn 53 last year, has no worry at all yeah. regarding his position. I think this is a guy that Andy Reid is going to kind of develop, hopefully for Crum's sake. He puts some good film on tape and lands – with another team. I, you know, I just think the quarterback room is set the Glazer kid. Interesting. He plays both guard positions. Uh, they, the chiefs liked him enough in his tryout to uh, keep him uh, on, on what is the roster added depth in the offensive line room. We've seen in, in years in Kansas city, you can never have enough depth, especially when it comes to the interior of your offensive line. Um, it's good to have swing guards. It's good to have swing tackles. And, and to me, Glazer fits that bill and a developmental developmental piece. And you just never know when it comes mm -hmm. to injuries, what happens. Um, you know, you, you go to 
the Chiefs Super Bowl against the Bucks, and that is a, an awful memory for Chiefs fans. But keep on, you know, if you have to go to camp with, a, or you have to go to your final fifty-three with twelve offensive linemen, I think you'd always take that even before you would take what you got uh, with that Super Bowl and and just getting down to the the bottom of the barrel when it came to linemen. Right, and and I, you know, I think it's also worth noting that uh, Austin Ryder and Andrew Wally were both guys who came in through this kind of a pathway to the chiefs yep. as, as guys who were unheralded, but they put in the work and ended up playing significant roles on the team. So you always have to keep an eye on guys, uh, like this Glazer kid. He could end up being something eventually. Right. And speaking of Austin Ryder, we were a little confused as to why mm-hmm. Ryder was cut prior to rookie camp. And we got our answer when the chiefs brought him back, it was yesterday. Uh, it was just a numbers game. Ryder still projecting, I think, for both of us, John, to be the backup center behind Creed Humphrey. Uh, and this is a guy who's done it before. He's started for the Chiefs before in the past. They know what they have. They know he could do it in a situation where the young gun, Creed Humphrey, gets hurt or something. And so I think this is one of these guys that, to me, is going to make the team unless something unforeseen happens. Well, you know, our Jared Sapp, who, uh, who always has really good takes on this kind of thing, pointed out, that one of the advantages to cutting Ryder in order to make room for another UDFA on the roster uh, for a short period of time, which is exactly what they did. This is a guy who owes the chiefs, you know, they gave him an opportunity to go out and find a better deal in free agency. It didn't happen. And when that didn't happen, they brought him back to the team. Yeah. He's not going to go anywhere if they cut it. They, you know, this is a guy they can say to him, look, we're going to cut you for you free for a few days. And so we can look at a, put a couple more of these UDFI guys on the roster. And then we're going to bring you back whenever we yeah. decide which ones we're going to let go. He's not going anywhere. And as a veteran player, you don't have to wave him and open him up to be picked up by another team. So this was actually, you know, it, we were scratching our heads about it originally. But I think Jared has it exactly right. This is exactly the guy you cut in order to make room for a few days for a UDFA you want to look at. Really, really smart comment, I thought, that Jared Jared had there. And you've seen the Chiefs do little things like this. And yes. It, it would be smart for other teams to do it. And we don't follow the other teams as closely when it comes to their 15th and 16th practice squad guy. But you've seen the Chiefs over the years and going back to when they had the, just the 10 practice squad players where they almost run a nine to like 13 player practice squad with bringing guys in. You know, we mentioned Dieter, how many times has Dieter gotten cut? Uh, Spiller comes to mind the, the, <laughs> uh, the, the Spiller on, on again, off again. Uh, he, he seems to always be the guy we go back to with the laughable transaction list, but they're, they're smart. Uh, you know, they, they're really deep. You can do less of that, I think, when you have the expanded practice squad that, that stemmed from the COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, I agree, easy to do it. And and I think Ryder wants to be here. And I think there's a, a clear role for him yeah. uh, in what will be the backup center for, for this team. And, and it's a good option, right? It's a good yeah. option, a, a good situation for, for both sides. But there uh, we talked about how Ross was signed. Uh, you know, again, a quiet camp. I I, I want to be clear. wasn't I wouldn't say the camp was bad, but just for all the hype. Right. Didn't necessarily live up to it in the first three days. Long, long way to go here. Uh, we have more comments from Andy Reid on Justin Ross. We'll play for them for you in the next segment. So a lot of news this week when it come to came to your Kansas City Chiefs. We got through it all. Uh, when we come back right here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, we will get into the key points from Andy Reid. Stay with us. 
Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride editor show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. After the three-day rookie minicamp, Andy Reid had an opportunity to speak to the media. And that theme of, of me and my points and saying, like, let's take everything with a grain of salt. It extends to the head coach of Andy Reid. I thought the theme of his press conference, if you really go back and listen onto from the podium on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, was let's calm down here. You know, I'm, we're going to make, make make my point. I'm going to make my points, but we are just in the first days of this. And if there's ever a, a day at a time guy, it's head coach Andy Reid. So if you if you really want to hear the full press conference, again, go back to from the podium. Uh, a lot to learn there. Uh, the first thing we'll get you here is his comments on the top pick. And here's what he had to say about the number 21 overall pick in the NFL draft cornerback, Trent McDuffie. Yeah, he's smart. Um, and he's smooth. He moves around well, good hips, good hands. Um, I, I like the part of being smart when you're playing that position. Leverages become important, how you do those uh, size, how you're going to handle different size players. we got some big receivers that we go against. How are you going to take care of that? So you hear there, he's happy with the initial look at, at McDuffie, John. You know, I think the key word for me there was, was smart. And even though he's a little bit undersized, that's always been a priority for Steve Spagnolo. is these guys uh, being smart being versatile, being able to play a lot of different positions. Uh, and I think you're, you're hearing that from Andy Reid in that initial comment. Yes. And of course, uh, the film review guys always like to have the head coach talk about a guy who has good hips. I mean, this is this is a big deal that you've got a guy who can flip those hips around and and uh, turn in pursuit. And uh, so, you know, you love it when the head coach will bring that up. But it's so early in this thing. And Andy Reid's not going to come out there and on his first round pick and say, yeah, he didn't really look all that good to me. <laughs> Yeah, but but those are all positive things. Yeah, no, and I, I thought it was interesting that he says we have some bigger receivers for him to to go against, and that really hasn't been the case. And the right, Chiefs receiving right. room is big now, uh, so if there's ever an opportunity to to go up against some of these guys and to make sure that even though he's undersized, he can compete, he's going to get to do that in training camp. And I thought that was a really interesting point as well. Uh, let's continue with the Andy Reid comments and. I love this on the second pick for the Chiefs, the number 30 overall pick in the first round of the NFL draft, George Karloftis. Here's Andy Reid. He goes 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Walkthroughs, everything. I mean, I just got we, we had to slow him down. Um, but I, I'll tell you, um, it looks like he's got a nice feel for the game. Uh, we put some fire zones in yesterday, and he moves around well when he's in space. Um He's got good hands, you know, it looks like for, again, this is just what we're, the little that we're doing, but, um, but that motor is probably the thing that jumps out at you. I mean, he, he goes and goes. So this is a good and a bad thing, right? The idea that he goes a hundred miles an hour and walk through, 
young George, calm down and walk through. But uh, yeah, I, I saw that. Um, that was one of my points that I made initially is that he just was going hard. Uh, you know, if, if there was a player that at this camp that just was nonstop, relentless, and really for some reason wanted to prove something, you know, it was Karl Loftus. Uh, and you know, I think in a sense, it, it's a good thing that he went a uh, number 30 overall. Cause I think it ticked him off. We've, we've said the same thing about Canard who we'll get to in a second, but I think it ticked him off. And I, I think he's going so f- hard right now. And, you know, when you get to the padded practice it, at training camp, I think it's going to be a situation where you got to be like, look, um, we're going a hundred percent, but let's not injure anyone, George. <laughs> like, <laughs> you see that yellow Jersey on Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> that is yellow for a reason george um but a good thing to hear i think uh, more so than a bad thing well everybody loves to hear about a high motor player and we think about great chiefs players there have been that had uh, high motors i think uh jared allen is certainly the guy that comes to mind for most chiefs fans and that was one of the things about him that we we knew right away uh when he first came to the team was that he had a high motor and that played out very well for him with the Chiefs and then later with the Vikings after he was traded away. So this is a, a great thing to hear. And I, I think it's it's amusing that um, that, you know, Pete, that, that, that Andy's like, oh, yeah, we had to slow him down a little bit because that's the other side of it is that um, it can sometimes work against you to have that kind of a motor outside of a game. But uh, so you have to figure out how to turn it down in the practice and then have him turn it back, uh, turn it back up uh, when the referees are out there and the, the clock is running. Yep. You heard it here first. If Karloftis doesn't live up to Jared Allen expectations, arrow headphones <laughs> on Twitter, Make sure you write him and tweet him and uh, deal with him on that. Okay, let's move on to the next player that Andy Reid discussed that I thought was interesting. Here his comments on on Sky Moore, uh, who, uh, again, remember, he had the hamstring issue and didn't really get to do a ton during camp. Here's Andy Reid. Yeah, well, I'm curious to see how, see how he does. I mean, I didn't get much uh, of a look here. But the thing I liked in college was <clears throat> he was strong, physically strong. Uh, the things they did with him, he, he, you know, he, was, he was very good at. So whether it was a short intermediate game, whether it was a long game, um, he could do it all. He has good speed. He's got, um, you know, good hands, huge hands. I mean, 10 and 10 plus hands, so, and long arms, and, you know, but he, he's strong. You could see it when you guys saw him on the field out there. He's put together now. So I look forward to seeing him play. Seems like a smart kid. So pretty honest there from Andy Reid. There's nothing to really evaluate because the Chiefs are very smartly not making him do anything while he has a hamstring during rookie minicamp. They'll have to wait another couple of weeks here. I believe the first date is May 24th. You would think that a hamstring issue within two weeks, you would hope it's not serious enough where it should be resolved by then. Uh, Moore himself called it a minor issue. Uh, he, he did Andy Reed. Now Andy Reed did comment on the strength uh, of Moore. And I just think that lends a little credit just to, again, the new receiving room, not to say that, Tyree kill wasn't physically strong, but it seems like that was really an emphasis in going to get Juju uh, and MBS. And they really liked the strength of more. It's a, it's a tougher, it's a more short to intermediate style of like 
I, I just am tending to think it's going to be a more methodical Chiefs offense. I'm not saying complete. Like, it, like, are we going to see a deep bomb to MVS? Sure. Is McCole Hardman going to gash the opposing team on occasion for 40 to 50? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that. But I just think, generally speaking, this is a new look offense that is going to beat you up. Uh, and I, I, I really feel like maybe more fits that, even though we didn't get to see him during the rookie minicamp. Well, I'll be a little reluctant to say this since I know at the end of it, you're going to say, well, if you have problems with this take, you need to turn your <laughs> tweets to Arrow headphones. But I, uh, I'll just I'll just say this, that I think one of the things that the Chiefs learned from Tyreek Hill is that you can be a small guy in the NFL and be extremely effective mm-hmm. if you are strong. Yeah. Now, Tyreek Hill worked hard to really be a strong player. And when you see that guy with his shirt off, he is unbelievable. And I think that that's, yeah. And I think that has carried through uh, with some of the choices the chiefs have made this year. And I, I think that's what Andy Reid is communicating to us here is this kid is strong. Yeah. He may be a little guy, but he's got big hands and he's strong. And we have learned, that we can count on guys like that to make plays. So I, I'm not trying to say that yeah. Sky Moore is Tyreek Hill, but I think that the Chiefs learned something from Hill, Hill that they are carrying forward here. That's my. I just, I just think that there's confidence too in the coaching staff, uh, and I know this is very like, shut up, Pete, trust factor, blah blah <laughs> blah. You know, Tyreek Hill came into the league as a running back. And Mm -hmm. they thought he could return. And then they saw, okay, you know, he has some upside as a receiver and they, you know, switched him to the receiving room. And again, he has this God given raw talent, but they developed him into one of the best receivers in the NFL. I'm not saying that about more either. Right. I mean, this is a guy that was just drafted a couple weeks ago when it comes to the coaching staff and the Reed led coaching staff, if there's ever a place to develop a guy that has the, raw traits that the chiefs identified and can build him into a high caliber receiver. You would think that they could do that with more. That's why like, and this is just another topic in general. I'm really eager to see Hardman. And I, I know that uh, we've rolled our eyes quite a bit when he was like, well, Travis Kelsey and Tyree killer on this team. I can only do so much. Let's see how real that is. Right. Because that same argument could be made for Hardman, except he just didn't have maybe as much opportunity as Hill because Hill was here. So Mm -hmm. now he's not right. So what is Hardman going to be? Okay. Let's continue on with Reed's comments on the rookies and and John, I know you'll like this one. Uh, Here was Reed on rookie fifth rounder, (laughs) right tackle, uh, Darian Kennard. Yeah. I kind of liked him. Yeah. Yeah. Strong. He's put together now. Long arms, big, thick, moves well. He looked competitive for what I mean, what we're doing out here. Um, so I, I, I like what I saw there. He, he seems like a real sharp kid, though. He picked everything up very easy. You know what that sounds like, John? That sounds like a head coach that's ready to make a rookie his right tackle. Yeah, it really does. And I and I think and I I think the other comment that I like in there, uh, competitive for what we're doing out there which sounds to me like the Chiefs last year made a real effort to bulk up their offensive line and get a different kind of offensive lineman uh, in there than they have typically done under Andy Reid. And absolutely, uh, Kennard fits that, fits that bill. 
And so, yes, I agree. That sounds like a coach who's thinking very strongly about making this guy his right tackle. You know, and and it, it's way too early to do this. Sure. Um, but Wiley versus Kennard, you could argue, is the number one camp battle. Because I think if you look at all the other battles across the board, like the Chiefs don't have really a traditional offense where you're going to be like, well, who's the number one wide receiver? And then maybe, you know, maybe you can – figure that like i because i think they're they play everywhere you know they, they have different looks the running backs are sometimes out wide for for example so you don't have those that traditional battle like what are you going to say mbs versus hardman i don't really see that necessarily as a battle so the number one camp battle is projecting to be maybe canard versus wiley and i think canard has the advantage like if i was making odds for this thing we're living in this DraftKings odds world I'd probably make the rookie a slight favorite at this point. I mean, that's to me what I gathered from uh, that comment. And then maybe you can make a case for RB one. I know there's definitely going to be fans at training camp that are, are going to be saying like R- Ronald Jones should be <laughs> starting running back. I can already hear people oh, um, man. make with that hot take. Um, but is there another battle that's more interesting and, and more open in my opinion than Wiley versus Kennard? I, I don't think so. Uh, probably not, but I'm just curious why you think that Wiley is the guy to beat there. I mean, I, I know there are a lot of people who feel this way that, uh, Lucas Niang is, is out of the running to be the starter at this point. What's, what's your view on that? Because I, I don't I know think that he is. I don't know the, that he is. No, I, I, if, no, I, I, if I, if, we, if it was a situation where Niang was completely healthy, it would be a three man battle. Right. I, okay. I'm taking I take Niang out of it because when the Chiefs go and say, yeah, you know what? We're maybe thinking end of training camp. End of training camp to me for Niang means he's going to be finally available. Like I don't like he might be able to get back on the field by the end of training camp. But is he going to be like in what they call football shape game ready? I think it may take a couple weeks. And so that's why I just don't consider him right now. Maybe this speeds up and maybe he's. At week two of training camp, he's a full go, but I could see him being one of these tent guys that lands on the PP, yeah. mm-hmm. and we don't see him in week six. And well, then by then, un- that'd be pretty unfortunate for him because that would mean that he's going to end up in a reserve role for 2022 unless there's an injury on the line. Yeah, and but, then, then I mean, he's look, got, yeah, look bad. at what happened last year with Wiley. Wiley ended yeah. the year thinking that, and he ended up being the majority of the snap starter because of remmers and the yang injuries so this is the depth back to the old line that we you know we discuss it's just like mm-hmm. it can go so many different ways so the yang just keeps the fate the thing is you're right like so say he does end up as a pup guy Niang, and you don't you know you're ruled out to week six we saw that with long you could end up on the kyle long track and just never be heard seen or heard from again right uh, right right you know because you've got wiley and that's part of the trouble here right. is that wiley can play any place on the line I mean, every season he's been here, he has put in substantial time playing for a reserve player someplace as a reserve player for a starter on the offensive line, which is the year that he got the the rookie of the year award because he had stepped in and played, I think, at right or at left guard that year. So, you know, this is the problem for Niang. If he does, if he gets on that track, the Kyle Long track, as you called it, for this season, he's going to be three years in right. on the NFL. He'll actually have two years left on his deal because of the opt out in uh, in 2020. But, um, you know, 
you got to wonder if he's ever going to make it in the NFL if he doesn't get out on the field this year. Right. <clears throat> you wonder if he eventually, like, next offseason becomes uh, a late-round trade piece or an interesting yeah. player trade. Remember, like, when they moved anger for Trevarius Ward? You know, yeah. People, people yeah. were high in anger, too, and then they ended up moving him, and Ward ended up being, obviously, the value in that in that trade. Uh, all right, let's continue with Andy Reid. And <clears throat> we talked about Ross a little bit uh, on the show already, but here were his comments on Justin Ross. Yeah, so I kind of did. He's a big kid that um, that's smooth and uh, runs well enough. He's kind of feeling himself out here just a little bit. Uh, uh, haven't been hurt before, so the last couple of years. But I'm sure has a lot of talent there. And kind of look forward to getting him. He's a smart kid, smart enough to pick everything up. Is there still a process to maybe getting him to where he was earlier in his college career? I'd probably tell you, yeah, this, he was knocking the rust off here. So, uh, but you can see the, you know, you can see the skill there. This made me feel a little bit better about my like Twitter observations that were getting a little low key <clears throat> criticized, John, because <laughs> Andy Reid's not going to go in on a player ever. This is about as far as he's going to go in saying, look, that guy struggled. Uh, this this weekend and so like knocking the rust off is essentially Andy Reid for like we need to see a little bit more uh, as we go along here but I think also to acknowledging this is a player that's coming off of foot surgery so you know let's let's mm -hmm. let's also give him some time as well oh I agree and and he's not going to say anything bad about this kid because he knows this kid is superbly talented we will all agree on that it's yep. just a question of whether or not he's going to uh, find a way to get back to where that talent can really work for him. So and I want to be clear. He does. Yeah. yeah. And I want to be clear here. Like, God, if the chiefs have a wide receiver too, and Justin Ross, that is going to be such an advantage getting him as a UDFA. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just am fascinated by how excited folks are about him. And I get it. He was a star as a freshman at, at Clemson uh, comes from that big school was a star in the national title game. Uh, but I, you know, let's take away the name. Let's take away the school. And I just am telling you, yeah, you know, there was this college player who had spinal surgery, then broke his foot. And now he's in camp. Are you like feeling that optimistic about it? I just like, I think I'm just like, I'm in pump the break mode. And if yeah. I'm like horribly wrong about this and, and, um, I should have been on the hype train, then so be it. But I just am like, right. let's, you know. Relax, well, the, the way to put this is that we hope that we're spectacularly wrong. Mm -hmm. That's that's yes. the way. Yeah, you know. I hope uh, that someone can tweet me uh, on May eleventh, twenty twenty three, and say, "Pete, remember when you liked Matthew Sexton more than Justin Ross?" And I'll be like, "I do." And thank you for listening to the program. We appreciate at, at that. PG Sween, been listening for yeah. at least three hundred sixty five days. Yeah. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're way over, so we'll do a very quick segment on Brett Feach in the draft and the Twitter poll and everything. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride editor's show with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that Learn more at marines.com. Well, I'm going to let this marinate. You know, let that one marinate, and then we can circle back. Adapt. React. 
readapt. It takes time. It takes years. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, we are going way over time. <laughs> when Steve is going on vacation on the day of the schedule release, we're going to give him as much work as possible. Because I think I, that's you know, fair. I have, I have to add music to the schedule release reaction roundtable. I have to edit it. I have to put it up. You know, it's too much work. For a guy that looks this good, it's too much work for me. So we're going to make sure Steve has to work a little overtime on a, on a long Arrowhead Pride editor show. But no, no. Uh, in all seriousness, let's get into our marinated, marinated draft takeaways. And John, you did a nice job with our consensus rankings of the NFL draft. And you had the take that Brett Veach navigated this draft beautifully and i would love you to talk about that a little bit yeah um you know i i'm i never like to evaluate the draft you know 24 hours after it happens or a week after it happens but this is what people want people want to want to talk about that and so that's what we're going to write about because that we're interested in what people want to know what if they want to talk about so this is something i've been doing for a couple of years to do this consensus draft rankings thing where we take you know, a bunch of the draft rankings and average them together. So we get an idea of what everybody thinks about the draft, just not one guy. And at each point in the draft, Feech was taking the highest ranked player in that moment. So if you're one of these guys who thinks best player available is a myth, well, maybe not in the case of Brett Veach in the 2022 draft. Um, so, and I, I think it really showed that he has learned from each draft. I think we can all look at that 2018 draft and go, what was Brett Beach thinking? And go, well, yeah, but it's his first one. And I don't know anybody who does their job well now that did it well the first day they were on that job. And I think that's one of the things we have to keep in mind about Brett Beach is that it's one thing to be an assistant and watch another guy do it and then have that responsibility yourself and make a mistake that you're still being hammered about years later as he did in 2018. So I think one of the things I really like about Veach is that he has learned from those mistakes. Yeah. And with each successive draft, he gets a little more patient, um, a little more in self-control, a little better prepared, I think, up to the point that this year that he actually traded back for the yeah. first time. And I love that, that the, the, his assistants were saying that there was a, you know, a golf clap <laughs> when the when the trade happened. Uh, you know, wow, Brett finally traded back. But I think it's a sign that he's that he's gotten that he's learned. And if you can get a GM who learns from his mistakes and learns every year and gets better every year, I don't know how you can have anybody that's better than that. I mean, because they're just going to get better. The trade back might be the biggest key of the draft because yeah. mm -hmm. on the board was Pickens and uh, Sky Moore. And the Chiefs had a read of it. And I think they had to be saying to themselves, one of these two guys will still be here four picks later. And they made a significant bet. And more was there. We'll never know in a world where Pickens is still there, which way they go, because they're never going to get mm -hmm. on and be like, yeah, we got our, our number two guy. They're always right. going to say we got our guy. <laughs> but to get more and then to be able to play in the fifth round and get Kennard, who you know we went into enough, but let's say he does become a starter, and then all of a sudden, you know, for three years, you have your center, right guard, and right tackle on their rookie contracts, and they're young, and which always means you're more durable. Uh, and to you know pair that with the Patrick Mahomes number, I just think it's really shrewd 
Uh, I thought it was a great draft, and, and I think a lot of fans were happy with it, and they got a lot of really great grades, especially from PFF. I mean, if you really look at the value and where they put, pick certain players, PFF uh, is like, Brett, where is our check? Because you guys just followed our board. Uh, <laughs> Chiefs fans as a whole, according to our NFL Reacts poll, graded the draft. Uh, 87% said it was A. 12% gave it a, a B. 1% came in with D. And when it, the 1% comes in with D, I, I tend to think there are some Broncos and Raiders fans that have snuck into our uh, SB Nation nah, Reacts signups. Uh, <laughs> the favorite pick of the Chiefs draft was George Karloftis, which I thought was a surprise. He, he mm-hmm. came in at 26%. Uh, Sky Moore and Leo Chanel came in at 23%. Only 18% on Trent McDuffie, 10% other. But Karloftis, at least right now, uh, seems to be the fan favorite. Uh, and I, I'd imagine if he comes on, onto the scene and is able to flirt with five to 10 sacks, that'll only uh, grow. And you'll start seeing those Karloftis jerseys uh, popping up at Arrowhead Stadium. 62% of Chiefs fans, John, think that Darian Kennard will start week one, uh, which mm. lends credit to my making him the favorite in the Arrowhead Pride Sportsbook. Just kidding. That doesn't exist. Don't email Joel. <laughs> about that 84 percent of chiefs fans thinks uh sky Moore will have more than 500 yards this year i don't know uh, i think he'll have a nice year i think there's a lot of balls to go around uh with this new offense uh you know you forget in a sense that travis kelsey is now pass catcher one he's gonna have more yards than all these receivers how many yards is that how many yards are there you know to work with is it possible for sky Moore? sure uh we'll see how how quick he he transitions um, and then nationally, a lot of fans said that the Jets, 39%, had the best draft class. Chiefs came in uh, around fifth at 10% of league-wide fans, considering they had uh, the best draft. But that, to me, is different than in past years where it seemed like the Chiefs weren't getting a lot of attention when it came to the NFL draft. Yeah, and I think they really right. were back on a lot of people's radars uh, this time around, John. Yeah, I agree. And I th- also think that Carl Aftis being uh, the – the player that Chiefs fans liked the most is uh, some, to some extent a reflection of the fact that Chiefs fans really wanted a defensive end in the draft. That was right. far and away the the biggest choice among Chiefs fans for a first round player was defensive end. So I think that gives Karloftis an advantage going in. But I agree. Uh, I think that the, nationally the Chiefs are getting a little more credit. Um, I think there was a perception early on that that Veach was was not very smart and he you know made some mistakes early. But I think over time, uh, people are getting the idea that this guy is actually pretty smart, and yeah. uh, and, and he's now done what looks what look like two back to back drafts that came out very well. Uh, we'll have to see. You can't really evaluate him until some years have gone by. But I- right now, he looks good. I hate to be got you guy because I feel like this whole show I've been got you guy. But also, <laughs> we need to remember this fact. When the Chiefs have gotten poor grades in the past, we have thrown them out, right? So, like, we just have to see. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, right. I yeah. hope that all these grades are correct, right? Again. Yeah, yeah. But, like, in previous years, we'd been like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. C plus on the draft. <laughs> and, you know, those years, to an extent, we have been right, especially recent years of Brett Feach. So, uh, let's see now and, and make mm-hmm, sure that these right. A plus grades are correct. We, you know, we can't just accept the grades that are, are good. Uh, all right, let's get into the final segment of our show. And this is the AP Twitter poll. John, you covered this for Arrowhead Pride this week. Brett Veach went on with Mike Florio uh, of Pro Football Talk. 
and we're not going to play it for you. If you really want to go find it, it, it is a good interview, but he discussed McCole Hardman and the notion was John, right? That McCole Hardman is not going to be what appears to be a priority for an extension this off season as he enters his final year. And that, John, correct me if I'm wrong here, seems to be the mutual feeling on both sides of this between Chiefs uh, and the Hardman camp. Well, it depends on it kind of depends on how you want to interpret exactly what Veach said. I mean, he kind of said it both ways, you know, that right. it, that that the, that there's reasons why we might want to be patient and there's reasons why they might want to be patient. And that's why I think there's not going to be a deal this season. And I think a lot of fans are like, well, yeah, duh. Nobody was going to want to extend McCole <laughs> Hardman, you know, but maybe they would have in different right. circumstances, you know, if um, if if things had played out differently, like if they hadn't gotten uh, MVS on the team or Juju or, or whatever, maybe, you know, maybe things would have played out. And if if Tyreek Hill was still on the team, you know, maybe they would have wanted to to get uh, Hardman locked down at a pretty cheap number uh, for the years to come after uh, Hill moved on, not from being traded, but from going after a free agent contract someplace else. So, um, you know, yeah. it was kind of an interesting question from Florio because I'm not sure it would have occurred to me to ask it, but the answer was certainly interesting and the way that, you know, that he talked about it. Um, and, and again, it's, it's open to interpretation about exactly how he said it, but, uh, it was, it was an interesting conversation to monitor. Yeah. I think you got to wait. And I, I think that's what the chiefs see. And I think Hardman should feel that way too, because if you really look at the numbers here and now you got to look at this new wide receiver market, that was right. This dom the domino that went off was dumb, dumb, Doug Peterson. I like Doug. I'm just kidding. But the Jaguars were dumb. <laughs> He's not dumb. He just did a dumb thing and giving Christian Kirk that contract. It really set right. off mm -hmm. what was a, a ripple effect of these, uh, now above average receivers needing a lot more money when you're giving right. Christian Kirk $18 million a year, a guy who's never had a thousand yards. So McCole Hardman, I mean, if you're really looking at his 2021, sure, it was 693 um, receiving yards, but they started using him as a wide back, especially toward the end of the year. So you got to go to like scrimmage yards, and he was 739 scrimmage yards. So at a, at a certain point, Hardman's got to be like looking at the, the situation right now and saying to himself, well, if I had 739 scrimmage yards and Tyreek Hill was on the team and Byron Pringle was on the team and Demarcus was mm -hmm, on the team, right? That's what? That's so many targets, right? That's we're, we're looking at like 250 targets there that are now going to be spread out. You're telling me I'm not a thousand yard receiver when this guy, Christian Kirk, who has never had a thousand yards, went and got 18 million. So that's the floor of a deal. And Brett mm -hmm. Reach can't agree to that. And Hardman. You know, if he can even have, let's say, like he says, all right, Tyreek Hill's not here. I had 739 yards last year. He's got to be looking at this season and be like, I'm going to have at least that this year, right? I mean, Sky right. Moore is interesting, but Hardman is going to be the guy at least to start, you would think, the year, right? I mean, you don't even really know what you have in Moore. So the Chiefs are going to be like, we're not going to pay that. And Hardman is probably like, I want – that type of contract and I can even make it even more by going out and doing it this year. So I just think there's a lot of reasons on both sides not to do it. Um, but we did go to a poll. Um, and that was uh, what I want to get to the Arrowhead pride poll of the, the day, the editor show poll. 
Would you like to see the Chiefs extend wide receiver McCole Hardman before the season? He's entering the final year of his contract. 35% said yes. So about a third of the hmm. fan base said yes. 64% said no. This is tough. And I, you know, it, it's in, I, w- I don't want to say improper poll, but it's an imperfect poll because I think there's a, a money point that a lot of these no's would be yeses. And there's probably a money sure. point where a lot of these yeah. yeses would be no's. So it's, it's very dependent. Uh, but I think that says a lot about uh, a third of the fan base being confident that Hardman is a worthy player, which is a little bit higher than I might have guessed yeah. for mm-hmm. the Chiefs fan base. Yeah. Uh, think mm-hmm. about a third of fans being in support of McCall Hardman. That to me is a little bit of a surprise on the high side in, in a way. I, I'd agree with that. But, you know, I guess this is this is yet another example of of the boo birds being vocal, but not as numerous <laughs> as we, as they seem to be. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's just, you know, that's just part of the internet, I guess, or uh, the part of, of, well, the silent majority was a thing before there was an internet. So I guess it's, it's there's always been a, a part of the world that's like this, but yes, uh, that is a higher number than I would have expected. But at some point I'm going to start factoring that in. So I won't be surprised by these numbers. I know at, at some point we have to adjust to, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. All right. Well, this show has been three years long. This is definitely <laughs> the longest Sarah had pride editor show of all time, I think. But, uh, it was a good show. We covered a lot. I, I think yeah. we needed to. There was a lot that that came out of rookie minicamp when it came to some of the observations and the news of 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 what was happening with these players and Andy Reid talking. Again, if you want to hear Andy Reid's full press conference, if you want to hear the press conferences of all these draft picks from rookie minicamp, that's available to you on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network by going back and looking at from the podium. I have some things I want to tell you about. A you have Coast to Coast that was posted last night. You can get that on Twitter Spaces every Tuesday. Uh, B, you have Great British Chiefs show coming up tomorrow. They'll have a little bit more close-to-home takes on the Chiefs getting snubbed out of the International Series. And then, as I said, we will have another uh, – it's, it's the new thing that I called the Reaction Roundtable. I don't even know who's going to be joining us, but once the schedule is released and we've – Put everything on the internet that needs to be on the internet. We'll gather together and talk about when the Chiefs will play their games. That'll be posted sometime late Thursday by yours truly. Uh, so Steve could get some much-deserved R&R. Thank you for producing this ultra-long show, Steve. Thank you to John Dixon for uh, being right here with me once again. And thank you for listening to another edition. I'm Pete Sweeney of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. 